All right, you can open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to begin in verse number 24. Matthew 7 and verse 24. I mentioned to you a few weeks ago when I returned to the pulpit that I would have to feel my way through this returning process. I'd have to see how my voice reacted to the uh, daily requirements of the ministry. I uh, appreciate everybody praying, but I will be honest with you. My voice isn't holding up as well as I had hoped. So I'm going to have to adjust the way I preach a little bit. If I preach a little slower, or if I talk a little softer, please understand it's not that I am less interested. I am hoping that the decrease in my volume will allow the Holy Spirit to speak louder. And I look forward to this thorn in the flesh drawing me deeper into the arms of God. I've thought about various styles of preaching that I might employ. You saw Brother Lee last week. Amen. I don't think I can even talk that loud, let alone preach that loud for 45 minutes straight. But more power to him, amen. I, I, I enjoy that sort of preaching from time to time. Then I thought part of my problem with my voice is the tightness in my neck and throat area. It's, I've been diagnosed with muscle tension dysphonia, so I need to keep this loose. So I thought, maybe I should preach like this. And if I can keep my head nice and loose, eh? it can make for a nice sermon. <laughs> but you wouldn't take me seriously now, would you? <laughs> a resounding no, thank you. So you're going to have to settle for me settling down. Matthew 7 and verse 24, the Bible says, Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. What I'd like to preach to you about today 
is groundwork. Groundwork. Today, this entire sermon is an introduction for 16 more sermons. We are laying groundwork. With that being said, please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for this privilege to be in the pulpit today. God, it is such an honor to get to stand and speak forth the word of the Lord. I don't take it lightly, and I know that I am not sufficient of myself. I cannot do this. God, would you please grip the hearts of the people today? Would you lay the groundwork? For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This must be a work of the Holy Spirit and not of me, not of this church. God, please give us ears to hear, and we ask for your presence. Oh, please move amongst us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A few hundred years ago, during the days of the Great Awakening, many, many camp meetings took place in America. A camp meeting is basically a church service wherein you have people from several cities that would converge in one place, and then several men would preach throughout the day and throughout the weeks. Camp meetings would last two or three weeks sometimes, every day. At one of these camp meetings, an evangelist stood up to preach. Man, he preached. Thundered around the pulpit, he told story after story, captivating the people with these wild tales of things he had done. He quoted all the verses. It was a powerful sermon, and the people were shook and moved. All the people except for one. There was one man in attendance that was very grieved with that sermon. You see, for it was that one man who had actually preached that same sermon a week earlier at a different camp meeting. The evangelist that had preached that night had stolen that sermon. He preached it word for word as the original man had preached, even putting himself into all of the stories claiming that he had done all those amazing things. I want to admit to you today that I am not stealing my sermon. That man stole a sermon. I'm not trying to steal a sermon, but I do for the next 16 weeks, if you count this, 17 weeks, I want to borrow the greatest sermon, I believe, that's ever been preached. When you look at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have what's normally called the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to use this Sermon on the Mount as an outline to preach to you sermons, starting with today, we're laying groundwork. Now, now listen to this. this is, you'll see how impressive this is. This is great. Sean, you'll love it. Next week, we'll talk about Get Your Blessing. But, but I'm going to preach it like this. Get your blessing. Go on, get your blessing. I'll bring a different style and everything. Get your blessing. The week after, I'll preach on good for nothing. The week after, guaranteed greatness. Going deeper. Going the extra mile. Glory of men or glory to God. I'll preach about God's guest room. We'll preach about gold diggers. 
I'm telling you now so you can invite the proper people. <laughs> I'll preach on the greatest goal in life. I'd like to give you a sermon called Gunk in Your Eye. Does everybody know that English word gunk? It's a junk word we made up. <laughs> to just say there's some goopy stuff. Gunk in your eye. I'll preach a sermon called Give Not. I know you'll be there for that. <laughs> the sermon after that, Getting Answers to Prayer. We'll preach on the golden rule. I'd like to preach about the gates of life. A sermon called Grapes and Figs. And then finally, and what a fitting sermon to end on, Go Away. <laughs> But it all starts, we're starting actually at the end of Jesus' wonderful Sermon on the Mount. We have to lay some groundwork. We have to have a nice foundation on which to build. About 1,500 years before Jesus stood on this mount and gave this wonderful discourse, there was another man of God who stood on a different mountain. Moses stood on Mount Sinai. And the Bible tells us that God's presence came down and thunders and lightnings and a voice rung out from heaven. Smoke descended upon the top of Mount Sinai. God himself spoke to the people. I am the Lord your God that brought you forth out of the land of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thyself graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And on and on he went. And by the time God finished speaking to the people, the people said, we can't take this anymore. That was so powerful. Moses, we would appreciate it if you went up the mountain, spoke to God, and then brought the message to us. Isn't it interesting that we want to hear from God, but then when God actually speaks, we say, that was a little too powerful. When God speaks, it's so clear, it cuts so deep, it put literally the fear of God into those people. Moses made several trips up and down Mount Sinai. You know he was a very in-shape, physically fit preacher. Up and down the mount he went. He gave the people what we call the Old Covenant or Old Testament as Moses came to the end of his life, about 40 years had passed since his preaching from Mount Sinai. And at the end of his life, he is saying farewell. You can read about this in the book of Deuteronomy. And as he's about to depart, he knows that the people are going to backslide. And it's not going to end up well for Israel. And he warns them several things and curses that might happen. And one thing he said was, one day, God will raise up a prophet like unto me. And then the Lord said this, it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he, that prophet, shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Moses predicted the coming of the Messiah. In that passage, he says, the prophet like unto me. Can I just remind you of a few similarities here? Moses, as a child, spent time in Egypt. So did Jesus. Moses, as a child, had his life threatened by a king. So did Jesus. 
when you read the story of Moses, there is a large gap in, in his life story from the time of his childhood to the time of his adulthood. There's a gap. When you read the story of Jesus, his biography in the four Gospels, there is a gap between his childhood and his adulthood. On and on the similarities go until one day you see that just as Moses stood as the mediator of the Old Testament on a mountain speaking the words of God, Jesus showed up to the people, stood up on a mountain, and became the mediator of the new covenant. God warned the people, this prophet that will be like unto Moses, he's going to speak in my name. And if you don't pay attention to his words, I will require it of you. Because this is an introductory lesson for 16 more sermons to come, forgive me if I dig in a little deep just for a moment. I'd like to explain something doctrinal about Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that will help us for the next 16 weeks. As you read through the teachings of Jesus Christ, every word is quite powerful and quite applicable. But there is something you must remember. Jesus had not yet died. He had yet to be buried. He had yet to rise again. The payment for sins was not yet made. You must remember that as you listen to the teachings of Jesus. Yes, he is explaining what is involved in the new covenant. He is explaining what a disciple of Christ should look like, sound like, talk like, act like. All of that we apply today. His teachings are applicable, but... You will find places where he talks about forgiveness. He talks about eternal life. He talks about being a child of God. And as he does, he will say things such as, Be a disciple so that you can be saved. But bear in mind, he is saying this before the cross takes place. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? We are living on the other side of of the cross. So every, literally, history hinges on the cross. The cross was such a great event that it split time in two. But before, before Jesus came, there was just time. And once Jesus showed up, now we have B.C. and A.D. I mean, that's how momentous an event the cross was. Please understand that when you and I in 2020, if I can physically illustrate it for you, we stand here in 2020 and we look back to the year 33 AD and we see the cross of Jesus. And then if we step back a little further from 33 where he died to 30 AD where he's preaching this stuff, we, if you look at this as I am, you cannot see his teachings without first seeing the cross. So we view everything he said as legitimate, as authoritative, as applicable, but first you must come to the cross. Whereas when Jesus said these things, he's in 30 AD, does he know that he's going to die? Yes. Does he know that he will pay for the sins of mankind? Yes. But it has yet to happen so he says, be a disciple, 
and you will be saved. Whereas we on this side of the cross, we say, be saved so that you can be a disciple. You see, all the teachings are still there. It's all applicable. It's simply the order that gets shifted because we are on the other side of the finished work of Calvary. So please don't be confused by that. As we go, these teachings are powerful and applicable. I want to remind you, I think all of you are very, very familiar with this. I want to remind you of a momentous occasion in South African history when President Jacob Zuma stood before the TV cameras and attempted to read a number. <laughs> the number, as I understand it, was 769,820. Some might make the argument that the number was 769,870. I don't think we'll ever know until we get to heaven what exactly President Zuma was saying. As he read that number, I, I'm not worried about the fact that he made a mistake in how he read it. And please, don't take it personally that an American is saying something about a South African president. If you want to hear the funniest stuff ever, go on YouTube and, and search for George W. Bush memorable sayings. You will, you will see where Zuma got it. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving that aside, in Jacob Zuma's famous numerical address, let's call it that, as he stumbled through the number, 769, 800 and, uh -huh. he paused, <laughs> he paused and he said something very powerful and something that I want to apply to the sermon today. Listen properly. <laughs> that was a tremendous save. Listen, he somehow made it the, the audience's fault. <laughs> ah, you, you're not listening properly. <laughs> what a brilliant save. I would like to use that catchy phrase. Jesus gets to the end of his sermon and basically says, now listen properly. I am telling you from the get-go for the next 16 weeks, please listen properly. The, the biblical way to say this, Jesus said it in a much better way. He said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. There's nothing wrong with the teaching of Jesus. The problem is our ears. Have you ever, I'm sure that you have read the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus stood up to preach, his sermons may not have lasted that long. Blessed are the poor in spirit, but did he explain it? Blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. And then he left the crowd to go think about it. What must you do? You must listen properly. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go home and meditate on the words of Jacob Zuma. I don't know how helpful that would be. 
However, to go home today and meditate on the words of Christ, my friend, it is a bottomless well of information. You will never reach the bottom of what His words have to offer to your life. You must listen properly. This sermon that he preached, I'm going to stick my neck out and say that there's not one thing in your life that this sermon cannot help. I believe that there's enough in this sermon to touch every area of your life. Can I show you just quick examples? Matthew 6, 33. While you turn to that, it might just be on the other page. How many of you remember when Jesus answered the lawyer's question, what is the greatest commandment in the law? I'm sure all of you could answer the question, right? Jesus, as only Jesus could do, he knew that you can't limit it to just one law. You have to break it down to two. It's irreducibly complex. What's the greatest law? The first one, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. My friend, that's applicable before the cross and after the cross. What's the second command? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, on these hang all the law and the prophets. Watch it. Matthew six thirty three. But seek ye what? What's the word? What is it? first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus, what should I put first? What is the greatest goal in life? Jesus said, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that comes first. We'll talk more about it when we come to it. The kingdom of God means that God rules in your heart. That comes first. He is supreme. What's the second Matthew 7, verse 12. Matthew 7, verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. There's your second command. Treat your neighbor as you would want to be treated. Do you see how in this sermon you find the, the two great commandments of the law and you find so many of the things that flow from those to commands. You must listen properly. Several years ago, I was invited to preach in a church somewhere in the South in America. I cannot remember where. Honey, maybe you remember the church. I, I preached in so many, I lose track sometimes. I got up to preach one night and I told the church, please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. Nothing wrong with that, is there? Open to 1 Corinthians. Well, on I went to the... Everybody, you could hear the pages flipping. They all knew where Corinthians was. They got to the... I said, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And they all went to that chapter. And I said, now... And back in those days, I had a voice. I was younger. I could really rear back and let her rip, as they say. And I said, now, bless God, do you see in verse 1? And now do you see in verse 2? And now I, get, I thundered on and slammed on that pulpit in verse 4 and verse 5. And we were going through it. And I noticed that the people were not into the sermon. And I thought, man, this is good stuff. <laughs> this, is, this is a great sermon. This sermon would 
would usually shake a crowd, but that night, ev everybody, they were giving me one, one look, the whole church. Everybody was confused. Now, God is not the author of confusion. That's how I know that I was preaching that night. You see, my sermon was actually coming from First Kings. But when I started the sermon, I was thinking about what I'm going to say five minutes from now. I was not thinking about what I am actually saying now. So Corinthians popped out because I don't know. It sounds like kings. <laughs> I gave the people a poor starting place for the sermon. I laid bad foundation for the sermon. I didn't give them a good, good groundwork. Do you see where I'm going with this? So even though I had good intentions, and I had some good points and I said some good things, the people were really confused and a little frustrated because they were not able to follow along. My sermon that night was built on a bit of shaky sand. And I fear that too many people today that call themselves believers in Christ and followers of Christ, their, their life is built not on sand, but the more I think about it, it seems like their lives are built on quicksand. As soon as the rain, the floods, the waters come, down they go and, and great, not, not only is it, is it a great fall, but it is a quick fall. People drop out so fast these days. What's happened? I believe they've laid some very poor groundwork for their life. Can I point something out to you in Matthew 7 and verse 25? Matthew 7 and verse 25. Jesus said, The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat upon that house and it fell not. And then the next phrase, it says, For it was founded upon a rock. Now, the rock, according to this story, are the sayings of Jesus Christ. But I read in other places that Jesus himself is the foundation. The Bible says in Corinthians, not Kings, Corinthians, it says that rock was Christ. Jesus is the rock, yes. But in this, in this passage, the rock are the sayings of Jesus. I find then an overlap. The person of Jesus and his sayings are pretty much one and the same because he did practice what he preached. Jesus was the personification of what God expects from a human being. If you want your life to be founded upon a rock, all you do is follow in the footsteps of Jesus. If you want to see what does it mean to be poor in spirit, to be meek, to mourn, to comfort, and how, how do I fulfill everything I read in the Sermon on the Mount? Simply look at the life of Jesus. He is a living personification of his preaching. That, there's a phrase at the end of verse 25. It says, for it was founded. Founded. This is, you can think of the word foundation. 
the word behind this, forgive me for going to the Greek, but I find this interesting. And don't make fun of me because I can't pronounce it. But you, you can't pronounce it either. I'm butchering that language. Man, if there was a Greek here, he'd slap me. There we go. I'm getting it now. Hang on. Listen properly. Do, do you hear that English word in the middle there? The middle of that Greek word is where we get the English word theme. It's the foundation. It's the basis. What is your life based on? When we look at a sermon, when we look at a movie, if we look at someone's lecture, we, we try to figure out what is their point? What is the central theme? And from that theme, everything else flows. You gentlemen in Bible school, I will teach you this. When you write a sermon, you first find the main point, the theme, and then from everything flows uh, or flows from that theme. When we look at your life, what is the theme of your life? Or are you just erratic here, there, and everywhere? One day you're this, another day you're that. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You have to have a solid foundation. Your life needs to be based on the right thing. According to Jesus, a wise man bases his life on the sayings of Jesus Christ. And from the sayings of Jesus Christ, every aspect of your life flows. How you treat your family, how you do your job, where you live, what, what kind of friends you have, what you wear, what kind of music you have. Every aspect of life flows. It is based upon what Jesus said, this is why we take 16 weeks to investigate everything he said. There are various things people base their lives on. Let's see if we find you in one of these three points. Some people, they base their life off of family and friends. That's the basis for their life. What does my family think? What do my friends think? I have heard this many times since I've lived in Africa. I've asked people, why do you do things this way? And here's the answer. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of this. This is the answer. It is my culture. Said just like that. It is my culture. That's another way to say my friends and family. They dictate my actions. They tell me right from wrong you are going to see in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus does talk about friends and family. They are mentioned in there. And friends and family are not bad things. I'm not telling you to do away with them. Some, some of you thought you had a chance there, didn't you? Thought, yeah, just, I don't need you. No, no, no. They, they play a very important role in life. But listen, listen properly. They cannot be the final authority for your life. God, God can put the right people in your life to help guide you, but they are not the final authority. Listen, one day you will stand before God the Father. 
and you'll answer to him and him alone. So friends and family cannot be your foundation. You cannot base your life off what they think of you. Let me tell you another thing that people base their life on. Feelings. Their life is based on feelings. Another word for this is emotionalism. The church is rife with it. People go to whatever church gives them the biggest high. Let me go to the church and get all stirred up and they build this wave of emotion and then as soon as the service is over, that wave crashes and the foam of their emotionalism fizzles out and as they walk out of the door, they're not changed. But that wave crashed, guess what, on the sands of the beach. It's over. I am not preaching against feelings. Let's make that straight. Okay? As you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus over and over again talks about joy, peace, anger, comfort. He discusses emotions constantly. I'm not against feelings. They play a major part in our life, but they cannot be the foundation. They cannot be the foundation. Can I make this statement and please give, tune your ears to hear this properly? Please, please. Truth, when received and handled properly, will always produce the right feeling. Can I say it again to drive it home? Truth, when received and handled properly, will always produce the right feeling. We're not against feelings. Feelings need to be there in your life. Watch out for the man who is past feeling. That means he's seared his conscience. That's a bad thing. I like feelings. Some of you could stand to have a few more feelings. <laughs> Amen. Probably the ones that are not smiling right now. You could use a few more feelings, you big chunk of stone. You. <laughs> Nothing moves you anymore. Nothing touches your heart. Nothing affects you. Not even the finger of God. Not even the still small voice of God can stir your heart. Feelings are a good thing, but they cannot be the foundation. I'll tell you another thing. The third thing that people use as a basis for their life. Friends, family. Feelings. Number three, finances. All of their decisions are based off of where they can find the money. Did you know Jesus spends a, a long time in the Sermon on the Mount talking about money? No man can have two masters. He'll love the one, hate the other. He'll hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a brilliant word to use there. He didn't say money. He said mammon. Mammon is an old, old way of saying wealth. It, because it may not be paper money or coins in your hand. It may be uh, houses. It may be cars. It may be things, possessions, anything with temporal worth or value. It dictates your life. How many people, they've made massive life decisions, who they marry, where they live, where they go to school, all these big, massive decisions. It's not based on the will of God, but it's based on the money. 
Jesus will discuss, again, we need money. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing in and of itself, but it cannot be your foundation. It cannot be the foundation. Would you quickly go to chapter 5 and verse 13? Now, as you're finding chapter 5 and verse 13, I'd like to remind you of something we read at the beginning. Did you notice it doesn't matter if you're wise or foolish? The rain will descend, the floods will come, and the waters will hit. The Bible says it doesn't matter, wise or foolish, you're going to get a beating. Did you see it? It beat upon that house. Wise or foolish, doesn't matter. We are all going to go through troubles. The reason we need the sayings, the words of Jesus Christ to base our life is not so that the rain doesn't fall, but so that when it falls, we don't fall with it. So that we can withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand. Anybody's house built upon sand can stand as long as the rain doesn't fall. So for a while, if a person has built their life on the wrong things, the opinions of friends, feelings, finances, your house might look good for a little while. But when times get tough, we'll see, we'll see where the real basis of your life is. Because if everything falls apart and you, you become good for nothing... That shows you that there's something wrong with the foundation. It's those trials that test you and prove what your life is based on. You say, Pastor, I need a worldview. I need a, a belief system that will just get me through this life. Just give me a job. I don't need to be rich. Just enough money so that I can live comfortably till I die. Do you know how many people settle for that? Okay, I may not have a great marriage, that's fine, but let me at least have somebody that will do the dishes. Did you, did you feel that? I felt that. I felt that. I, I think the Holy Spirit just, just ninja style went through the church right there. Sure. But they settle, they settle like, like your feet sinking into the sand. They just settle for that. Well, my friends say that my life looks good. That's good enough for me. I just don't want to live with enemies. You know, people, most people just settle for, get me through this life. I don't want to break down during my lifetime. And they think that's success. What happens when you die? You want your house to fall down then? We're, we're so short-minded. We, we fail to see afar off. Paul says, look not at the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Think about the future what is going to happen one day when you die and you stand before God if your life was based on 
friends, family, finances, and feelings, it's all going to come tumbling down. The teachings of Jesus not only get you through this life successfully, that it will sustain you beyond the grave. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse number 13, I, I only draw your attention to one phrase here. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth. Help me with the next three words. Good for nothing. A life that is not based on the words of Jesus Christ is good for nothing. Friend, you can die with millions of rands in the bank. You can die having lived in a beautiful home. You can die with multiple cars. You can die with a beautiful maid for a wife. You can, you can die the world's version of successful and stand before God and have everything fall around you and hear the Lord say, your life was good for nothing. You were the world's version of success, but not my version of success. This is why our life must be based on the theme of our life must be the words of Jesus Christ and his example. One more thing I want to point out and then I'm going to finish. In Matthew 7 and verse 24... I tried to emphasize this to you when I began. Therefore, whosoever heareth, heareth these sayings of mine. Congratulations, because all of you have achieved that much of the verse. You are sitting in a church, and you are hearing the sayings of Jesus Christ. Yes? And it's not just this church. Many churches today preaching the word of Christ. But that's only part of it. The next phrase is the key. And doeth them. Jesus goes on to talk about building a house on either a rock or sand. The sand would be the opinions of friend, feelings, finances. That's the sandy stuff. You understand the rock, that's the words. That is Jesus himself. But there must be action put to those words. There must be some building that goes on. You must apply what Jesus has said. Now be honest with yourself this morning. This week, did you actively seek to apply what Jesus said? Or did you just go through the week living life to the best of your ability? He said, but Brother Mike, I did the best I could. By whose standard? I'm, I'm not doubting that you did give it an effort. Many people do. And how many people feel as, oh, please listen to this. How many people do you know that feel as if they are sinking quickly in the sands of futility? They feel like their life is good for nothing. 
How many people are rushing off to suicide? How many are rushing off to psychologist offices to say, my life doesn't make sense? Why? Because they gave it their best effort and it's not working. I am not doubting their effort. I believe that they're building a house, but it's not based on the right thing. You have to have both effort and the proper foundation. You need the words of Christ, but you must apply them. But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You think you're building a life when actually you're building something that's good for nothing. I was speaking to a young man recently, and I asked him, we were having a very good conversation about church. We were talking about the proper attitude towards coming to church and the purpose of the church. And this young man, he, he has wisdom beyond his years. He said something so profound that I wrote it down, and I'm going to repeat it to you today. As he was explaining to me his attitude towards coming to the Sunday services, he said this, I do not prepare all week for church on Sunday, but I allow church on Sunday to prepare me for the week. That's brilliant. Do you understand what he's saying? I'm going to take what I hear in church and apply it throughout the week. I'm not just going to rush through the week and then show up to church on Sunday, have an emotional experience, and then think that my, my responsibilities towards God is finished. This young man says, I want to do something with what I hear. I allow church on Sunday to prepare me for the week. Today, folks, we've laid some groundwork. I'm asking you to check your foundation. And over the next 16 weeks, hopefully we can help you build and build and build the life that would be pleasing to God that will stand for all eternity. Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed. Eyes closed just for a moment or two, please. We are so privileged to have a Bible that has preserved the teachings of our Savior. We have access to them. We can check daily to see if our life is brick by brick being built according to God's plan. Have you checked lately? What is your life based on? What's the theme of your life? Do you always refer back to the Word of Christ? Or only when it's convenient? 
our intentions are to build disciples of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, that starts, for you and I, that starts at the cross. If you have never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you must begin with that foundation. And from there, we can build the life of a disciple. But it starts with you trusting Him as your Savior. So if you've never done that, Today, you can humble your heart and say, Lord, I, I know I've tried my best, but it's not enough. I'm a sinner, and I'm not going to make it. Save me. Please save me. Be my Savior. Today was a warm-up sermon just laying the groundwork. Just as Jesus gave his disciples a taste of what he expected, he wanted his listeners to go and meditate on it, think about it, apply it. I'm asking you to do the same. Take what you've heard today, think, meditate, apply, use it. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to speak to the people with your words. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the example you set, for telling us what you expect. This proper life can be built. It can be achieved. And Lord, we, we stand astonished at your doctrine. Who else could preach one sermon that covers all of life? Lord, never a man spake like you. I, I pray that, God, you'd please speak to some, some lost soul today. If they're not saved, save that soul. Please, God. And for those that are, help them brick by brick to build that godly life using your words. Father, we look forward to tonight. Please bring us back safely. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.